It is Kale and Company Live, a delight to have you with us on WKXL, 1450 on the AM dial, 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area, streaming 24 hours a day wherever you are on nhtalkradio.com. Very excited today to have Jeff Fletcher on the program. Jeff is the author of Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani, and the greatest baseball season ever played. And uh, Jeff, a delight to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And thanks for getting up very early on the West Coast where where you are. Uh, Jeff, you know, this this guy has uh, become just, uh, you know, a, a matinee idol. I mean, he's the talk of the baseball world. But we want to talk a little bit about Shohei Otani before uh, he came to this this country, and uh, he had uh, a, a plan for for greatness in the game of baseball. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things that uh, that I discovered when I was you know reading about his growing up in Japan is that he uh, made this. He wrote out this list of you know his goals for his baseball career, very specific. Uh, when he was in high school, and it had things like how old he wanted to be when he got to the major leagues and how old he was going to be when he won his first game and when he was going to throw his first no-hitter and how long he was going to pitch and when he was going to retire. and uh, Very, very specific uh, list. And he hasn't really stuck to that, but uh, still doing pretty well. When did someone uh, think about making him a, a two-way player? Well, you know, he, he was really good at, at both in high school, which was very, you know, normal, like a lot of kids, you know, here in, in the U.S. too. But, you know, in the U.S., you pretty much you get even to college, and they want you to, to do one or the other. And certainly in professional baseball, they want you to do that. And in Japan, uh, you know, they usually do that too. But the, uh, the Nippon Ham Fighters, the, uh, the team that, that drafted him in Japan, they said, you know, we think you can be a two-way player, and we want to give you the chance to do that because they were trying to convince him to stay in Japan and not go straight to the minor leagues in the United States, which is what he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, nobody in the U.S., certainly when he was 18 years old, would have given him a chance to be a two-way player. So I think that was one of the reasons that he stayed in Japan, and they really, you know, developed him as that, and, you know, they let him play in the in the Japanese major leagues even though he wasn't a great hitter when he started uh they just kind of were patient with him and by the time his five years were up he was very good at both and uh that's you know the rest is history I guess but of course nobody really knew how it was going to transcend uh into the the major leagues uh on this continent uh but we know how popular uh, Shohei Otani is in this country. Uh, how is he received in his home country of Japan? Oh, it's incredible. He is uh, he's super popular over there, uh, you know, in his, in his hometown, uh, Oshu, which is up in northern Japan. They have uh, Otani Day, and on the 17th of every month, like everybody in town wears a number 17 Otani jersey. Uh, even, you know, people, you know, you go to the bank or whatever, and they're wearing Otani jerseys in there, so... It's pretty crazy. Uh, the, this, uh, this book that I wrote was uh, translated into Japanese, and it actually went on sale in Japan like a week before it went on sale in the United States. And uh, Amazon in Japan sold out of it in about two days. So uh, he's definitely very popular over there. 
Well, let's hope Amazon in this country sells out in a couple of days, Jeff. Yeah, right? <laughs> we'll see. Well, how do his, he's 28 now. Uh, how do his stats uh, compare uh, to Babe Ruth? I mean, it's really the, the only comparison that, that we have, and this was a, you know, a century ago. Uh, how do his stats at 28 compare to Babe Ruth? Well, it's, you know, it's really hard to compare them because they're just in different eras. Sure. You know, yeah. and uh, Babe Ruth really was sort of a halftime, part-time pitcher in the two years that he's both. Because once he realized he could hit, he didn't want to pitch anymore. And it was right. sort of a fight to the Red Sox to have him still pitch because he was kind of done with it. He's like, I just want to hit. But they still had him pitch and there were... The last two years he was with the Red Sox, he did do both, but it was, like I said, it was about half of what he pitched previously. Uh, but still, you know, his, his pitching numbers were great. His hitting numbers were really good, too. But I think back then, you know, baseball was a much shallower pool of talent, and the, the good players were further ahead of everybody else than, than they are today. Certainly guys weren't all watching it video, watching videos to break down every opponent or looking at computers and all that kind of stuff, and it was only white players, basically, so uh, it was a very different talent pool, but uh, I think that, that Otani, actually, what he's done is much harder than what Babe Ruth has done, yeah. uh, so it's uh, it's pretty impressive what he's done. Yeah, he's still, you know, with all his success and uh, you know all the money he has made and all the money he will make uh, in the future, still seems to be a pretty humble guy. Yeah, I mean, he's he's very uh, focused on baseball, and uh, he doesn't seem to be too interested in doing much else. And, uh, you know, he's he's pretty relaxed around his teammates and seems to be very uh, one of the guys, even though he's clearly not one of the guys. But uh, he's, he's a pretty nice, uh, pretty good personality to be around. Well, it all hasn't been in Rosie. I remember, uh, and, and you mentioned this in the book, I know, that uh, he had a tough 2018 spring training. There were some concerns about his future uh, as a big leaguer in this country. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when anybody comes from Japan, the major leagues, there's some skepticism that they're going to be as good, just because obviously the major leagues are harder. And uh, there was not only that normal skepticism, but he was doing something that nobody else had done. So certainly a lot of people were wondering if he could really pull it off. And then spring training of 2018, he was honestly just terrible. <laughs> As a hitter and a pitcher, he was not good at all. And uh, pretty much everybody except those people wearing Angels uniforms were really thinking, that all right, this guy might be good eventually, but he's going to have to go to the minor leagues. Not right now. This is not going to work. But the Angels basically said to anybody who'd ask, look, it's spring training, don't worry about it. He's done this in Japan. It's not like he's some 19-year-old who's only played in double-A. He played in basically the second-best league in the world, and he did it. So <clears throat> let's give him a little leeway here. And uh, then once the season started, he was great. So, uh, you know, he made some adjustments. He needed kind of the adrenaline of real baseball. And, uh, you know, obviously he's been pretty good since. Well, in uh, 2019, uh, his teammate on the Angels uh, pitching staff, Tyler Skaggs, passed away sc- uh, suddenly. Uh, what was his relationship with, with Skaggs? They were actually pretty close. They have the same agent, 
And uh, so they, they knew each other then, and they basically had their lockers next to each other, you know, the whole time in spring training in the season. And, uh, you know, they're both pitchers. And, uh, and Tyler was, first of all, a very popular guy with all of his teammates just because he was really inclusive of everybody, not really a cliquish kind of guy, you know, who only liked certain people. Everybody liked him. Media liked him. The ballpark maintenance workers liked him. Everybody liked him. So uh, it, it hit it hit Shohei uh, hard as it did with, you know, pretty much everybody on the team. And, and I think we saw that team uh, pretty much collapse in the second half. They were doing okay. And uh, I think that just the emotional weight of, of losing a teammate, I think, was just too difficult for them. And, uh, you know, the team and, and Shohei uh, had a pretty rough second half. Our guest on uh, this edition of Kale and Company Live, Jeff Fletcher, the author of Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played, which was 2021. I mean, just incredible what he was able to accomplish last season. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, that, I mean, I don't think that uh, title is hyperbole. I think it is the greatest baseball season ever played. No doubt. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's nobody else that's doing that, and and it wasn't just that he was good enough to be a decent hitter. You know, like like a Madison Bumgarner, for example, kind of the classic example of the good hitter for a pitcher. You know, and uh, but that was definitely not what Otani was. He was one of the elite hitters. You know, he was third in the majors in homers. He was he batted you know second or third for the team for the whole season, and he was their best pitcher. So all that is just really amazing, and and I think what we've seen in 2022 is uh, he's been really good again, and he's having the second greatest season ever played, basically. But it shows you how how incredibly hard it was to do what he did in 2021 because there's still been you know he hasn't been as good of a hitter this year, so that really shows how hard it was for him to to do what he did last year. Jeff, we're going to take a very quick break, and uh, we'll be back with more. Jeff Fletcher, the book, Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani, the greatest baseball season ever played. And this book is available now on uh, Amazon and, uh, and other places as well, which we'll discuss. Uh, Jeff, we'll be right back here on WKXL, 103.9 in Concord, 14.50 a.m. in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and streaming 24 hours a day on nhtalkradio.com. This is Kale & Company Live. It's Kale & Company Live here on WKXL and all of our platforms, including nhtalkradio.com and getting up very early on the West Coast to chat with us this morning is Jeff Fletcher, author of Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played, 2021. He's having a good, not, a, well, good uh, by his standards, great by other people's standards, uh, 2022 season. The uh, the pitching has been great. Uh, the hitting, uh, not, not as uh, productive as he was uh, at this stage of uh, 2021, but you know it's going to come around. But a lot of you know the the Angels always seem to have a lot of uh, turmoil. Uh, three managers in his first three seasons. Now he's had two, 
this season. Uh, how was he and, and really the rest of his teammates adapted to all of this? Well, it's certainly been a, a turmoil is a good word. They, they have a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, the team has not performed the way they hoped for basically any of Otani's career. Um, you know, in this season, they, they've they really had uh, four managers this year because Joe Madden got fired, and then Phil Nevin took over as the interim manager, and then they had a big fight with the Mariners, and uh, yeah. Phil Nevin got suspended. So then Ray Montgomery, the bench coach, took over as manager, but he was also suspended because of the fight. So there were a couple games where uh, Nevin and Montgomery were suspended, so Bill Hasselman uh, was the manager. So... It's been a little bit crazy, and, you know, the players are just trying to do the best they can. And, you know, it's it's so disappointing because they, they started off 27-17. and 17 And everybody thought, oh, my God, this is finally the year that the Angels are going to be good and we're going to see them in the playoffs. And, you know, at worst, they're going to be contenders all season. And then they just lost 14 games in a row, and they haven't been able to recover. They're still well below 500. And, uh, you know, it's... You wonder how the players can, you know, not just give up on it and uh, still come to the ballpark every day and, you know, feel like they're going to win. But uh, by all accounts, that's what they're doing. But it has been a, a rough season for, for all of them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you have two of the greatest players on the planet in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on the same team. And the real shame of it is that now Trout has been around for 12 years, as you know, and uh, has only played in three postseason games in, in all of that time. And it's just a shame that these guys have, have yet to make it, really, to the postseason. Yeah, it's been really, uh, it's, it's definitely something that they're well aware of. And, yeah. You know, nowadays when I go on Twitter, if I, anytime I tweet anything good that, you know, the Trout or O'Donnell does, there's a bunch of replies that are, yeah, 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 but the Angels are terrible. The Angels are wasting them. They should trade them. And da, 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 da. I mean, I think it's different for, you know, if, if the Arizona Diamondbacks are having a bad year, probably nobody treats it the same as when the Angels are having a bad year. It's like this crime against humanity. So it is a, it is a disappointing thing for sure. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, do you think there's going to come a time when uh, either one of them or both will want to get out uh, of Los Angeles or Anaheim specifically? Well, Mike Trout is the one who has uh, he has eight years left on his yeah. contract. And I actually flat out asked him the other day, you know, is this where you want to be? And I, you know, didn't really expect him to in the middle of the season say, yeah, I want to get out of here. But he did point out that, you know, he, he is the one who signed the contract. So he accepted the fact that this was where he wanted to play and, um, you know, he seems to be pretty happy with his life here, living in California. His wife likes it. He's got a two-year-old son now, and, you know, it's hard to, to guarantee you're going to win anywhere else, too, and uh, there's not too many places that could take Mike Trout's contract, and he's also, uh, you know, he, he's declining a little bit. He's gotten to be 30 years old now. He's had some injuries, so it's not just like he could snap his fingers and, and go to a team and be in the World Series either, so... Uh, as for Otani, he's got through 2023 on his contract. I cannot see the Angels trading him before that. And uh, so then I guess we'll we'll find out yeah. where he wants to be when he, when he gets to that point. Yeah, arbitration eligible uh, next year, and uh, he can become a free agent in 
2024, and uh, I I would be surprised, and I imagine that a lot of people would be surprised if he did not at that point test the free agent uh, waters. Well, you know, everybody says, you know, they just want to win. Winning is the most important thing. That's what every single player says. Yet, they don't all sign with the Yankees and Red Sox, or the Yankees and Dodgers, I should say. You know, teams that are, you know, perennial, you can guarantee they're going to go to the playoffs. So I think that tells you that there's other things that count to players. There's money, certainly, and there's just comfort. You know, do you like the people you're working around? Do you like where you live? And uh, all those things, the Angels certainly could compete with any other team in terms of uh, making those good for Otani. Uh, I think he likes, you know, he's comfortable where he is. That's not something that you want to necessarily mess with. So uh, I think that if the Angels just write him a super big check, that uh, it's still possible that he, he does re-sign with the Angels. And obviously they would have to convince him that they're still going to do the right things to try to win around him. They're not just going to tell him, you know, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of money and we're going to be bad for your whole career. But uh, I'm sure that they, they don't think that. I'm sure they think they're going to win. And if they can convince him of that uh, with their words and they can put enough dollars in his bank account, then I, I think it is still possible that he resigns. Yeah, well, come 2024, we shall uh, find out. I mean, uh, uh, there's there's no doubt, I, I would have to think, that he, at that time, is going to become the highest-paid player uh, of all time. I mean, he, he's like two players in one, so why not, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's difficult, though, because uh, there's never been a two-way player, so you don't have any uh, precedent for how long he can do this. So you can't just give him a 10-year contract assuming he's going to be this two-way player for 10 years, because... No. Just, nobody's ever done it. No. And, uh, you know, we don't know that he really can do that. So I think that, you know, whereas most players, when they sign a, a really big long-term contract, a traditional player, you know, it, it goes up as the, the years go on. I think what might happen with Otani, and this is just sort of me speculating, is that it might start out really high. And then as the later years go on, there's a lot of uh, clauses and uh, triggers in the contract to where, you know, in year five, if he's still a two-way player, he gets $50 million. But if he's only a pitcher, he gets $30 million or something like that. Well, it's a good situation to be in uh, one way or the other. Of course, uh, this year MLB uh, manufactured what is pretty much the Shohei Otani rule, that if a pitcher is in the lineup instead of a DH, that pitcher can stay in the ball game and hit even if he's, he's been removed uh, from the mound. And I think that's generally called the Shohei Otani rule, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't apply to anybody else. Yeah. And, uh, Major League Baseball basically <laughs> did it just for him because they want to uh, showcase his talent. And, yeah. you know, the Angels certainly love it because it was pretty inconvenient for them last year in the games that he was pitching. You know, if he had a bad start and got knocked out as a pitcher early, then they were stuck with their pitchers in the lineup for the rest of the day game. And you know, if they wanted to to get him one more at bat, you know, when he was about to come up to pitch, they would have to like stick him in right field to, to finish out the inning to to get him in there. And it's basically like a reverse double switch. Yeah. And uh, so all that is not really great for the Angels. So they made this rule, which I did not think they would do because it applied only to the Angels. I didn't think they would make a rule to help one team, but uh, it's basically to, to help market Shohei Otani. And they, they claim that it is also encourages other teams to develop two-way players, but 
I don't think that's really too likely. No, pro- probably not. Do you think, though, in the years to come, maybe not in the immediate future, but do you think this could uh, inspire other uh, gifted baseball players to uh, at least, uh, you know, try uh, being a two-way player? I mean, it, it's hard to imagine anybody doing it at the caliber that he's doing it, but do you think there may be more uh, in the future? You know, I don't think the problem is encouraging players do it because i think lots of players always have wanted to do it because they start out doing it you know yeah, when they're young sure and they want to continue i think it's the problem is the team is they've got to be willing to let a guy do it and uh i still don't think that's going to happen because you know the main problem is you you really your talent has to be at a equal level as a pitcher and a hitter because if you say you're ready to be in the big leagues as a pitcher but you maybe need another year or two in the minors as a hitter they're not going to let you do that. They're just going to say, all right, well, sorry, you're a pitcher now because we're, you're ready to go to the major league. So uh, that's what's happened to basically all the other guys who you know, could have been two-way players previously, and I really don't see that changing. So unless some you know, super amazing talent comes along, which you know, has only happened once in 100 years, yep. I don't know what the next one's going to be, then I really don't think we're going to see more two-way players like Otani. What we might see is the more, you know, like Michael Lorenzen, who was with the Reds for a few years and is now with the Angels as a starter. He used to sort of dabble in the outfield while he was a relief pitcher. Yeah. So they could use him as a defensive replacement or to pinch hit or that kind of thing, but he was still mainly a pitcher. Uh, You might see a few more guys do something like that. Well, probably never do it to the level that Shohei Otani has done. He's truly remarkable. And I, I cannot wait to read this book, which is out now. And, and Jeff, Fitcher, or Jeff, Jeff Fletcher, we uh, thank you uh, for your time. Again, the book is Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. And uh, Jeff Fletcher, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for getting up early today. All right. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Jeff Fletcher. Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, and we will be right back. And welcome back. It is Kale and Company live for a Wednesday. We have reached the midway mark of the week. And in case you missed it last night, the American League made it nine straight all-star victories with a 3-2 to two win over the National League at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. And uh, I'll tell you what, the uh, National League jumped out to a 2 to nothing lead early uh, in the first inning on a run-scoring hit by Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, sad to say. And a solo home run by Paul Goldschmidt of the St. Louis Cardinals. But the American League bounced back, tied it up on a two-run blast by Giancarlo Stanton of the New York Yankees. And then took the lead for good, as it turned out, on a home run by Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins. So home runs factored in almost all of the runs uh, last night, four out of the five runs in that uh, three to two game, I was rooting for extra innings because Major League Baseball uh, said on Monday that if 
the game was tied after nine innings, they would have a home run derby to decide the winner of the 2022 All-Star Game, but they didn't need it as the American League prevailed by a score of 3-2. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we welcome back to WKXL a very familiar voice, the executive director of the Granite State Dairy Promotion, Amy Hall. Amy, how are you this morning? Good morning, Ken. I am doing great. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's been a it's been a while. We have missed you, and I figured since uh, you know we're in our first, uh, I think we're going to reach heat wave status by the end of the week, uh, and uh, you know there's there's no better time for ice cream than now. I know we need to cool off a little bit. I think it's going to be five straight days, maybe six, of above ninety degrees. So I know for sure. Um, that there is a solution. If you're out there sweating and you're hot, you need to pick up a New Hampshire ice cream trail map and get out there and cool down and enjoy the sights, the sounds, the smells, the scenery of New Hampshire. Well, there's no doubt about that. And uh, the ice cream trail is well underway, but it's never too late to start the trail and there's no time like the present. I, for, for what you described, we might have a double heat wave. Oh, no, it's exactly. Um, I was looking at the weather this morning, and I think it goes all the way through Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah. um, it's definitely, definitely a uh, great way to cool off and enjoy uh, the scenery of New Hampshire. And, of course, you know what? Pick up a map. You don't have to complete the entire trail. If you want to, absolutely. There's still time left. You still have July, August, September. Three months, three and a half months left, and that's that's a doable time frame. But if you're just looking for a reference in terms of where's the best ice cream shop in my area, who can I support, who's serving up local ice cream, pick up a map and, you know, use it as a reference. Use it as sort of a, a treasure, if you will. And hit maybe the shops that are in your area. You don't have to complete the entire trail. Although we wish you would. We wish you would attempt it. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's a great way to support local businesses. It's a great way to support your local dairy producers. And it's also a great educational experience as well. There's all sorts of information contained within the map um, about the dairy industry here in New Hampshire. It's economic impact. Um it's positive contribution to the environment, cow care, cow comfort, a day in the life uh, when you're on a dairy producer, when you're on a dairy farm. So um, it really is an all-encompassing resource for people to pick up. Oh, it, it really is. And, you know, uh, if you do follow the trail and, and uh, you know, as Amy said, you don't necessarily have to complete the entire trail, but wherever you do go, you, you'll learn something. I mean, not only will you get some delicious ice cream, but you'll learn something about the area you're going to. Because in many cases, uh, you know, you know, following the trail, you would go places that, uh, that, you know, normally you probably would not visit. So you'll learn something about those cities and towns where the, uh, the, the shops are located. And how many stops along the trail this year, Amy? We have 50. Five zero ice cream shops on the trail this year. Fifty. And Fifty. And Whoa. this is the first year, too, I had ice cream shops 
who had unfortunately missed the deadline or learned about the trail um, a little later than they should have. And I had um, a wait. So if anybody had to back out of the trail at the last moment, which, of course, nobody does or did, um, I had ice cream shops in the wings just waiting to get on the map. So next year uh, may be a bit of a challenge. It's going to be a race of the ice cream shops once that registration form goes out. Um, because it's really taken off. It's gotten its hooves under it, if you will, uh, pun intended. And not only are ice cream shops benefiting from it, but, you know, the entire population of New Hampshire. And, you know, with New Hampshire Eat Local Month coming up in August, it's also an excellent way to to support the locality um, and small businesses. Well, there's no doubt about it. That sounds like it's up from uh, last year, Amy. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, This is a record-setting year. We have, um, I've capped the trail at 50 shops just because you have to make it um, a reasonable thing for folks out on the road to accomplish. So, you know, it, it will never be more than 50 shops. And this is the year. This is the year that there are 50 Um, I do know that following uh, the hashtag New Hampshire Ice Cream Trail on Instagram and Facebook, there are a lot of people out there enjoying every single scoop that they're picking up. Some people are providing reviews of each shop that they go to, which is, you know, fun to watch, fun to see. You know, moms, dads, grandmas, kids, you name it, they're all out there and they're having a great time taking on the challenge. Oh, the pictures are always uh, terrific to see, uh, and no doubt about that. So for those people who are totally unfamiliar, we, we always, you know, like to think we're having people, different people tune in all the time and might not know uh, the background. Just tell people exactly how the trail works and how they perhaps could become a prize winner. Absolutely. Um, so the way that the trail works, it's, it's pretty basic and, and very simple. You can pick up a trail map at any New Hampshire rest area or participating shop. If you want to know what shops are on the map, um, you can just go to our website and click New Hampshire Ice Cream Trail and all the participating shops are there and they'll all have a copy of the map. So what you do is you pick this up and it's a passport of sorts. And each shop has a uh, spot next to their listing on the map. And once you complete your visit there, you purchase, you know, any type of dairy product, ice cream cake, ice cream cone, frozen yogurt, milkshake. Um, You will get a sticker that indicates you have completed that stop. And once you have hit all 50 locations, you send that passport in to me. Everybody win something who completes this map because it is quite the feat. So everybody, regardless, gets um, a I ate like a cow sweatshirt with the New Hampshire ice cream trail map on it. So you do get a reward and you do get a prize if you complete the entire trail. But then everybody who submits a passport, all of those names go into a grand prize drawing. And one lucky individual will not only receive a sweatshirt, um, but they will also receive a $200 Amazon gift card and a basket full of New Hampshire-made goodies to celebrate the accomplishment. How about that, huh? 
But uh, in order to qualify for that, you have to uh, visit all 50 of the stops uh, along the way from uh, Pittsfield to Nashua uh, to Keene and uh, everywhere in between uh, to qualify for that, uh, that great uh, grand prize. Amy Hall is with us, the executive director of Granite State Dairy Promotion. Their website is nhdairypromo.org. And, Amy, you can hear that music in the background, but I... I want you to hold on for a couple of minutes because I have a couple of uh, ice cream experts in the studio who are going to weigh in, and I'm going to ask them uh, their favorite ice cream flavors. So hang in there, Amy, and uh, we'll be right back with you. Great. Thanks, Ken. Okay. Amy Hall with us, Executive Director of Granite State Dairy Promotion, talking about this year's Ice Cream Trail, and it's underway. It has been underway for a while with 50 stops. 5-0 along the way. We'll be back with more right here on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 1019 FM in Manchester, and streaming around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare go anywhere. It is Kale and Company Live for a Wednesday. If you missed any part of this program today, you can hear it again this evening at uh, 7 o'clock right here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. 1019, our signal that booms into downtown Manchester and beyond. And, of course, streaming around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Amy Hall is with us. Amy is the executive director of Granite State Dairy Promotion. The website is nhdairypromo.org. The 2022 New Hampshire Ice Cream Trail is underway and with 50 stops. 50 stops. And, uh, and uh, Amy, what, is that the record? or, uh, or have that's, you... a, that, that's a tie. Um, yeah. And I'm forgetting the year. I want to say it was 2016 that we had 50 um, but this year is unique in the fact that I would estimate we could have up to 56 based on the shops that were waiting in yeah. the wings and wow. who are clamoring to get on for next year. So like I said, it's going to be a race to the finish once that registration form goes out. So if you are an ice cream shop um, and you're out there listening, uh, you know, submit um, through our website, nhdairypromo.org, a contact, um, and I will put you on a list uh, in order to register for next year. Uh, but just keep in mind that my instinct says uh, this is going to fill up fast, the 2023 map. I Absolutely. It's nice to have a waiting list, isn't it? It sure is. It yeah. absolutely is. Well, <laughs> it's sort of a double-edged sword because some people aren't so happy they're on a waiting list. <laughs> That's true, I, and I, I understand that, but uh, that, that is something. It's becoming uh, more popular as the years go by. How many years is this for the, for the trail, Amy? This will be year 11 or 12, I believe. So we started in 2012, so do that math, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> well, Amy... Ken, it just is every year it passes so quickly and it goes by so fast. And the organization of this trail is a, a bit like herding cats or cows. And it is such a blast to put together. But in my own brain, I sort of, you know, I lose track because I'm so focused on getting everything right. 
uh, no typos. All of the addresses match up to what's on the website uh, and what's on the actual key map. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and I love every single moment of it. But unfortunately, what suffers is how many years have I done this now? <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy, as I said before the break, I have a couple of uh, ice cream experts uh, in the studio uh, who happen to be my grandchildren, uh, Philip and Lena Spence. Uh, they, they actually reside in Massachusetts, but I'm going to make sure that they hit some of the stops anyway on the 2022 New Hampshire Ice Cream Trail. So I'm first going to ask my granddaughter, Lena, uh, who is now seven years old, uh, what is your favorite ice cream, Lena? My favorite ice cream is Boston Blackout. Boston Blackout. Now, Lena, what what kind, what is, is that like chocolate ice cream? Yes. It is. Anything in it, like nuts or marshmallows or chips or? No. No, it's just just like chocolate ice cream. Boston Blackout. Okay. And now, Philip, who is 10. Uh, Phil, your favorite ice cream? My favorite ice cream is s'mores ice cream. S'mores. S'more. Have you ever had that, Amy? S'mores ice cream? I have had that, and it is delicious. Um, it's got little chunks of graham crackers in it, right, Philip? And yeah. uh, some marshmallow, and it's a, a chocolate type of based ice cream. It is out of this world delicious. And Boston Blackout, I have also had that before, um, and also equally as amazing. So the two of you have made some excellent picks. See, there, on you, there, there you go. And Amy is the ice cream expert. Of all time. If ever I knew an ice cream expert, it's Amy Hall. And so, so Amy, what, what's your favorite flavor? You know, I'm kind of boring, I, and it's always been cookies and cream. I just, I, I can't quit it. It's always in my freezer, and it is definitely my top 100% favorite, followed by mocha chip. So those are my top two. And I know what yours are, Ken. I know what your favorite ice cream is. I remember. It's in my brain. And? It is rum raisin. You are absolutely right. It was my mother's favorite. Uh, it is my favorite. But I'll tell you what. You know, Sunday, as you well know, was uh, National Ice Cream Day. And uh, my grandchildren have been spending a few days with us. And uh, that's how we celebrated uh, uh, National Ice Cream Day, Sunday night, when they arrived, uh, we had cookies and cream ice cream. Excellent. Huh? Excellent choice. And, and, I, and I thought of you, Amy, because I actually knew what you were going to say. But for the benefit of those who have, you know don't know your favorite ice cream, cookies and cream, I don't think it's boring. I think it's very good, but it's just not rum raisin. That's all. Just not rum raisin. But, That's true. Uh, <laughs> you know, as... as um, as years progress, I've noticed, and I don't know if anybody else has, is that ice cream flavors have become a little bit more adventurous, uh, things that we didn't have when I was growing up. And it really is kind of cool to follow the evolution of how ice cream is created and how the ideas evolve around what flavors are going to go great together, like chocolate jalapeno. You know, I don't, I don't know Chocolate about you, jalapeno? Yeah, but Whoa. growing up, yeah, uh, you know, growing up, these these weren't flavors that we had, and it's it's kind of really very very cool 
uh, to see, no pun intended, uh, to see this progression and to sort of challenge our case buds a little bit more than uh, we would have. So when I say my favorite is a little boring, I think I'm more comparing it to the chocolate jalapenos of the world. You know, there seems when you go uh, to an ice cream stand or uh, shop for ice cream in the grocery store, there there seems to be almost a new flavor every day. So you're right. I mean, they're they're getting very very adventurous uh, these <laughs> days. But I had uh, heretofore, Amy, I had never heard of chocolate jalapeno. Uh, that is mm-hmm. for sure. Well, I'll, I will have to check that out because I, I like both of those things, chocolate and jalapenos. So at any rate, well, Amy, where can people get more information on the uh, the ice cream trail? Well, they can go to nhdairypromo.org, which is our website. You can all also follow us on Instagram at nhdairy. And if you're interested in a trail map, uh, go to any New Hampshire state rest, uh, rest area. They are well stocked up. Um, and if you're just looking for a place to start, uh, check out, again, our website. Click on Ice Cream Trail. Any shop that you see on the Ice Cream Trail page will also have a supply of passports, maps. Very good. I will make sure that before they leave the state, my grandchildren get those, those passports. Excellent. There I love go. it, Kent. All you're right. a good grandpa. Well, Amy, we have a couple of minutes left, and uh, we've been talking about the Ice Cream Trail but uh, just on a more serious note, and uh, like I say, we were coming down the home stretch here, but uh, Amy, what kind of an impact has uh, in- inflation had on our local dairy farmers? Um, it's really been no different than it has been on most of us. Uh, feed costs are up. Of course, they need fuel for their tractors and farm vehicles, so they're facing uh, that's the same pain points as we all are. Uh, the good news is, is that milk prices are up a little bit uh, than we've seen in years past. Uh, the double-edged sword there is then, of course, inflation eats into some of that increase in price to our producers. But as always, they're resilient, they're full of heart, uh, and they're they're all out there. The, the sweet corn is getting ready. Uh, the diversification of some of our farms continues to grow. So inflation, uh, like any other person, our dairy producers are not immune. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, has it had uh, uh, much of an impact on, on the uh, on the price uh, of milk to consumers? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, everything in the grocery store is going oh, up. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the cost of processing. Uh, most things end up getting passed on to the consumer. All things, actually. So, you know, the cost to process the milk, the cost to ship and haul the milk. Uh, my boss was telling me, believe it or not, uh, that his tankers, I mean, he's up over, believe it or not, a huge tens of thousands of dollars just in fuel costs yeah. every yeah. single month. Yeah. So um, it's it's really impacting everything. And unfortunately, uh, it will impact the price of dairy in the grocery aisle, but not as severely as it's impacted everything else. So that's something uh, to focus on and to be positive about. You will see a small price increase, yes, but it's not going to be exorbitant or extraordinary. Well, yeah, you think about the uh, the transportation costs, uh, you know, with the diesel fuel, uh, what it is uh, these days in particular, and that uh, oh, that's an amazing statistic. But, uh, Amy, we always uh, love to have you with us and uh, certainly talking about the, the ice cream trail underway through... Uh, um, Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, Columbus Day weekend, more people may know it as. 
So you have all the way through towards three quarters of October. I believe it's the 17th this year. So if you want to tackle it, it's definitely not too late to get out there and travel the state. So get your passports today at any New Hampshire rest area or at any participating ice cream shop of the 50 of them on the trail. And Amy Hall, great to have you back. And uh, we'll get together soon. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Amy. Amy Hall, Executive Director of Granite State Dairy Promotion, nhdairypromo.org. Pick up those ice cream trail passports ASAP. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks to my grandchildren for joining in. Phil and Lena, right here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM, booming into downtown Manchester. Around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. This show will be repeated tonight at 7. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Thanks for joining us.